Today we're going to talk about Solus Christus or Christ alone. I want to read a scripture to you from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. Acts chapter 4, verse 10. This was after the resurrection of Christ, after the Holy Spirit had been poured out in Acts chapter 2. We see that recorded where God pours out His Spirit on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 4, we see that Peter, James, and John were going up to the temple at 3 in the afternoon to offer their daily prayers, and they encounter this lame man sitting at the gate, beautiful. And the Bible says that this man had been lame since birth. So what, what we understand is that man sat at that gate every day. His family would bring him there, and he would beg alms. That's how he was able to make a living, because he was lame. He couldn't work. He couldn't walk. He was there since birth, so it's very safe to assume that Jesus walked by that man every time Jesus walked through that gate into the temple like he would have done on a regular basis when he was in Jerusalem. Jesus would have walked by this lame man, but Jesus didn't heal that lame man while he was on the earth. But now Jesus' disciples walk through this gate and the lame man is begging for alms and the Bible says Peter locks his eyes with the eyes of this lame man and Peter says silver and gold have I not but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus rise up and walk and the Bible says in that moment God healed that lame man he rose up and he went leaping into the temple, praising God because he had been healed. Well, he'd been there for years, and obviously this created a great stir in the temple among all the people who knew this guy was lame since birth, but now this great miracle has happened. The religious leaders were not so happy because he was healed in the name of Jesus. So they bring Peter, James, and John in, and they are telling them, stop preaching Jesus. They couldn't really do much because this notable miracle had taken place. And so what I'm going to read to you is Peter's response to the religious leaders when they are telling him, stop preaching Jesus. By what power, by what name have you done this? Let me begin with in verse 8. Follow from verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. 
This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We are saved by grace. We are saved through faith. We are saved through faith in Christ alone. Christ alone is the object of our faith. Father, I ask that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and open our minds. Give us eyes to see Give us ears to hear, Lord, that your word, the power of your gospel would go into our hearts, go into our minds, and it would change and transform us, that you would, by your spirit, mold us and shape us, transform us and conform us to the image of the Son of glory. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So we look to Scripture alone. We're saved by grace alone. Our salvation comes through faith alone. And the object of our faith is Christ alone. So today is Reformation Day. So this is the 500th year or the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. A lot of people probably don't even know the significance of the Reformation. But I want you not to be like a lot of people. I want you to understand the significance of what this day represents. That we are here today in this building we call a church. But in reality, you are the church. The church meets in this building. But the church doesn't stay in this building. The church goes out into the world and the church is to be, as Jesus said, like salt and light. We are to salt the world around us. We are to light the world around us. We are products of the Reformation. We believe that Scripture alone is the authority, is the final arbitrator of all truth. That traditions are subject to the Scripture that men are subject to the Scripture, that decrees are subject to the Scripture, that all things are subject to the Scripture. We believe that we are saved by grace alone, that we cannot add anything. We can add no work. We can add no merit. We can add nothing. We are saved by God's grace and by His grace alone. It is God who was proactive. It is God who took the initiative. It is God who must raise us from the dead, must give us eyes to see, must give us ears to hear, must give us new hearts. By grace you have been saved. It is through faith and through faith alone. It is not faith plus anything else. Just like it is not grace plus anything else. Just like it's not the scripture plus a continuing revelation. There is not Another testament of Jesus Christ. There is not a later prophet who has come and now given us more revelation in addition to the scripture. 
We don't trust in Christ plus someone else. We trust in Christ alone. This was the environment 500 years ago. It was not scripture alone. It was not grace alone. It was not faith alone. It was not in Christ alone. 500 years ago, the church had come through 1,500 years since Jesus was born. And in those 1,500 years, the church veered off course and began to add other ways that we were saved and begin to add other people that we would, should pray to and intercede for us. And the church began to say things like, we are saved by grace, but we must add to that grace our good works. And so 500 years ago, on the eve of All Saints Day, which is October 31st, Martin Luther went and nailed his 95 points up on the bulletin board called the door of Wittenberg Castle, trying to create an academic discussion about these things because Martin Luther had been reading the Bible. He was a professor of the Bible. And so when he started teaching the Bible, and he began to read the Bible, not just as a monk, not just following the precepts of the church and the edicts of the church, but he began to actually read and study the Scripture, he began to see that what the church was teaching and what the Scripture is teaching are two different things. And he wanted to simply have a discussion about it. Well, that desire for a simple discussion, private discussion, not a reformation, but just a discussion, that turned into a reformation. And now here we are 500 years later, And we stand here today, I stand here today, and I tell you today that this scripture alone is the final determinant of truth. I tell you today, and I tell you every time I preach to you, that you are saved by grace alone. There is not anything else that can save you. There is nothing else you can do to save yourself. It is God's grace and God's grace alone that saves us. But it is through faith and through faith alone that that salvation comes to us and becomes a reality in our life and manifests through our life. And today I'm going to talk to you about Christ alone. That the object of your faith is Christ. The object of your faith is not your power. The object of your faith is not some mystical, spiritual power or influence the object of your faith is Christ and Christ alone you will be saved by Christ you will be healed by Christ you will do whatever you are going to do in the plan and purpose of God you are going to receive the promises of God you are going to live in the promises of God you're going to experience the promises of God in Christ and in Christ alone let me read an, uh, from an article entitled The Five Solas, adapted by a gentleman named William Gross. I quote, His sacrifice, speaking of Christ, His sacrifice is sufficient to atone for the sins of the church. Every Christian is able to approach 
the throne of God with Christ alone as his intercessor and advocate. There the saint is free to declare his praise, confess his sins, and offer his supplications. And so salvation is by Christ alone. He is the sole cause of our salvation. Everything necessary to atone for our sins and to provide the righteousness necessary to please God was finally and completely done by Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. He is the sole focus and object of our faith and the only source of truth. He is the one on whom we are absolutely dependent for our salvation. The words of Jesus from John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Salvation is never attained or maintained by anything that is either obtained apart from Christ or offered in addition to Christ. Saying that we need Christ plus anything in order to be saved is blatantly false teaching. So Christ alone is our salvation. Christ alone is the object of our faith. And in Christ alone are all the promises of God fulfilled. As I've said many times before, the subject of the Bible can be boiled down to one thing, and that is Christ. The point of the Scripture is to reveal Christ to us. The stories, the accounts, the historical accounts, and, and all that we read in the Bible, the Bible stories, are not there to give us moralistic lessons. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. There are a lot of moralistic lessons in the Bible stories. And we should heed the morality and the morals that the Bible promotes. But if the point of the Bible stories was just to teach us good morals so that we could become moral people and become acceptable to God, then we are working for our own salvation. And we can't say... We cannot be saved by our works. Christ alone is the promised seed. So in Genesis 3.15, in the story, in the beginning, right there in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, when God created man, when he created Adam, when he created Eve, he puts them there in a perfect garden, in a perfect world, and he gives them one no. Do not eat from this particular tree. And what did Adam and Eve do? They listened to the serpent, the lie of the serpent, and they went for the one no instead of all the yeses they had. And when God comes and he declares the curse that sin brought upon mankind and upon the creation, God declares to the serpent that the seed of the woman, who is Christ, would come one day and crush the head of the serpent. This is all the way back in Genesis 3.15. Christ is the promised seed. Then we come to Genesis 12 when God calls Abram out of his country. And God makes this declaration to Abram. And he says in Genesis 12, he says, I will bless you and I will bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And he says to Abram, he says, in you, Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In Genesis 22:17 17 and 18, 
God declares again to Abram, and he says this, that now to Abraham, changed his name, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. If you have any other translation of the Bible other than a King James, you might find the words descendants mixed in there. It does mean descendants, but the literal word is seed. I like the literal word. And I'll tell you why I like the literal word seed, because the Apostle Paul gives us the understanding of God's promise to Abraham and his seed in his letter to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Listen to what Paul says. He's giving us the meaning of the, the promise God gives to Abraham back in Genesis 12 and throughout. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, who is Christ. Christ is the promised seed. Christ alone is the promised seed. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, if you paid attention to what, what was said there in Genesis when God says to Abraham, your seed shall possess the gates of his enemies. Jesus makes this declaration in Matthew 16 when Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And the answer the disciples said, gave was this. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Come back. Some say you're this. Some say you're that. Peter chimes up and Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven has revealed this to you. And then Jesus makes a promise. He promises to build his church and he promises that the gates of hell or the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Hearkening back to the promise God gave to Abraham when Abraham was told by God, Abraham, your seed shall possess the gates of his enemies. Jesus says that he will build the church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Christ and his church shall possess the gates of his enemies. Christ is the seed promised to crush the head of the serpent. 1 John 3, 8, John writes this, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. Christ is the seed promised to bless all the families and all the nations of the earth. That word nation there is in Genesis is the word we translate Gentile. Here's what God literally said to Abram. And he said it again to Abraham. In you, Abram, in you, Abraham, and in your seed, all the nations, all the Gentiles shall be blessed. In other words, God made this declaration in the very beginning that his intent was to save the world. Saving the world doesn't mean God is going to save every single human being. Otherwise, we would be universalists in our theology. Jesus is very clear. 
men and women will go to hell. The book of Revelation presents a very crystal clear picture that there is a lake of fire, there is an eternal judgment, and men will go there because of their rejection of Christ. But when God declared from the beginning that he would save the world, when Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he, be, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is saying the same thing God said to Abraham. In you and in your seed, I will bless all the nations. That includes the Jewish nation and that includes every other nation. And that blessing and that salvation is in Christ alone. Christ is the seed promised to crush the head of the serpent. Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. And Christ alone is salvation for all who trust in him. Christ alone is the promised seed. And in Christ alone are God's promises fulfilled well Christ is not just the promised seed but the Bible teaches that Christ alone is our great high priest now what's interesting is when the law of Moses was given there was a priesthood that had to come through Aaron through the Levites but Jesus was not a Levite Jesus was of the tribe of Judah how is Jesus our great high priest well, because the priesthood of Christ preceded that of Moses and the law. Let me read again from that article, The Five Solas. I quote, There is no biblical basis to turn to anyone but Christ for our intercession. Every Christian is able to approach the throne of God with Christ alone as his intercessor and advocate. The Catholic Mass is based on the belief that priests actually break the body of Christ and offer his atoning blood each time they administer the Lord's table. The sacrament thus becomes a means and not just a sign of salvation. The priest is acting as our intercessor in place of Christ. It is Christ plus the church also elevated Mary beyond the role of the mother of Jesus and made her the mother of God, thus deifying her. She becomes central to the salvation of the world with her son. As such, Mary became an additional intercessor between man and God. That is Christ plus. On top of that, there are a list of recognized saints that became intercessors on behalf of men and prayers began to go up to these departed saints, and that too is Christ plus. If we believe we need Christ plus anyone or anything else to gain access to God, we do not understand God's grace that's been given to us in Jesus Christ. Either Jesus is sufficient completely to give us access to the Father, and if he is not, that means there is some insufficiency in Jesus to get us to the Father. 
And we do not find that anywhere in the scripture. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We must place our faith in Christ, in Christ alone. But you might say, well, Pastor Jeff, what about when I'm having a really bad day? What about when I'm having a really bad week, a really bad month? What if I've done some really horrible things, thought some really horrible thoughts, and I've just not been a very good person? Are you telling me that I can just waltz right up to the throne of God and God is going to accept me just the way I am? And my answer to you is absolutely yes if you are trusting in Jesus. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin. If you know you've had a bad day, a bad thought, a bad month, a bad week, if you know that you have been living a life and a lifestyle uh, and have had thoughts and actions that are contrary to who Christ is, then repent of that. Say, so, well, how do, how do you do that? How do you repent of those things? You give them to God. You confess them to God. Say, God, I've had a lousy attitude lately. God, I've been really rude and mean and cruel. God, I've had some horrible thoughts about things. God, I give you those. I confess that they are wrong, that they are sinful. Will you forgive me? Before you have to ask, will you forgive me? He has already forgiven you in Christ. The question is, do you recognize your need for a savior? Do you recognize your sinfulness? So yes, when you go to the throne of grace, you can go with confidence that God will accept you. You don't have to take anyone or anything else with you. You don't have to take your saint whoever's bracelet and, and ask them, can you help me get to the Father? You don't have to go to Mary and say, Mary, would you help me get to your son so I can get to the Father? No. The Bible is clear. There is one mediator between God and man. That means there's one mediator. Listen, I don't have a closer relationship with God. I don't have a, 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 I'm not closer to God because I'm a pastor than you are because you're not a pastor. People very often say things like this to me. Well, preacher, I called you up because I know you got the, you got the hotline to God because you're a pastor. No, I don't have a hotline to God because I'm a pastor i got the same hotline you've got. I've got Jesus, and that's all I have. You have Jesus, and that's all you need. Now, the Bible says we should confess our sins to one another. Listen, if we've got issues, we need to confess those to one another. We need to make those things right. The Bible has made us to be in relationship with one another just like your hand is not made to be separated from your body because the moment it becomes separated from your body, that hand is no good. You are created to be connected to a body of people. That's one of the most important reasons of coming to worship. You're not just coming. There's various reasons why you come, but one of the most important reasons you come is because you were created to be connected to a body. And when you are disconnected from the body, that's not good. But listen, you don't have to come here and get to me so you can get to God. You have Jesus Christ, and through Jesus Christ, you have direct access to the very throne of grace. That's why our faith, the object of our faith is Christ and Christ alone. 
Jesus is our great high priest. Through faith in Christ alone, we are made a royal priesthood. That's what Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 10. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation, a peculiar people who are called out of darkness to show forth the praises of him. We're given the privilege to come boldly before the throne of grace, Hebrews 4.16. We're able to stand confidently in the day of judgment, 1 John 4.17, because as he is, so are we in this world. You didn't earn that. You didn't work for that. You were given that by grace through faith in Christ alone. All of this because Christ alone is our great high priest. Listen to Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but as in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a great high priest in Jesus Christ who can sympathize with our weaknesses. He was at all points just as we are tempted, but unlike us, he is without sin. He knows and understands our weaknesses. He is graceful, he is faithful, and he alone can save us. And that is why Christ alone is the object of our faith. You don't have a God who can't understand your pain, your suffering, your struggles. You have a God. You have a Savior. You have a great high priest, Jesus Christ, who absolutely understands better than you do your own struggles, your own weaknesses. That's why we are commanded and encouraged to run to Him with boldness and with confidence because He is waiting for us. Because he loves us. And he wants to pour his peace, his grace, his truth into our hearts, into our lives. Christ alone is the door that leads to life. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes not except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus wants to give to you his abundant life. Christ alone is the way to the Father. Just before Jesus is taken to be crucified before he is arrested while they are still in the midst of the Passover meal and they're getting ready to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus is teaching his disciples and Jesus makes this declaration, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christ alone is the door to salvation. Christ alone is the way to the Father. Christ alone is the way, the truth, and the lie. Notice the Bible does not teach that Christ is one of many ways. He's not even called a way. He is called the way. 
Christ alone. We must contend for the faith. Jude writes this in Jude 3 and 4. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the truth which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is exactly what the Reformation was. It was contending for the faith. That's what Luther did when he nailed those points up on that door of that castle. He was contending for the faith. He wanted to have a dialogue about the faith. We're not living in any different environment other than we have technology. But spiritually, there are still men. There are still forces. Listen, the sinful world, the drifting culture, ungodly men are constantly trying to erode the truth of the gospel. The enemy wants you to believe that you have to have Jesus plus. Listen, the devil is fine with you believing Jesus is your salvation. He wants you to believe that it's Jesus plus something else. Because if it's Jesus plus something else, it's not the gospel. That's why the cult sounds so appealing. Mormonism sounds very appealing. Jehovah's Witness can sound very appealing. But if you listen closely to what they're saying, it is Jesus plus, it is grace plus, it is faith plus. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches it is grace alone, it is faith alone, it is Christ alone. Our tendency, our fallen nature, our human nature, our sinful nature, our tendency is to want to add our own works and our own merit to earn our salvation. We must contend for the faith because there is a constant effort to erode it. But we can take hope that will not happen. There may be a constant effort to erode the truth of the gospel, but it is to no avail for Christ has promised that he will build his church and he has promised that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God has always had a remnant. The truth will never perish. Isaiah 40 says this. Jesus said this himself. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Listen, Christian, don't be fearful. The truth cannot fade away. The truth cannot pass away. The truth is not going to get swallowed up by the lie. The truth will prevail. The truth is winning. Our nation may be in a mess. Our culture may look like a mess. But I'm telling you what, the gospel is as powerful as ever. And the gospel is working. And the fact that we are here today talking about these very things is proof that the gospel is working. Don't ever, ever forget that. Here's a segment from a document written back in 1996, and it was written specifically to contend for the faith. It's called the Cambridge Declaration, and concerning solus Christus, or Christ alone, 
the erosion of Christ-centered faith, as evangelical faith becomes secularized, its interests have been blurred with those of the culture. Uh, Remember, this was 22 years ago this was written. Its interests have been blurred with those of the culture. The result is a loss of absolute values, permissive individualism, and a substitution of wholeness for holiness, recovery for repentance, intuition for truth, feeling for belief, chance for providence, and immediate gratification for enduring hope. Christ and His cross have moved from the center of our vision. We reaffirm that our salvation is accomplished by the work of the historical Christ alone. His sinless life and substitutionary atonement alone are sufficient for our justification and reconciliation to the Father. We deny that the gospel is preached if Christ's substitutionary work is not declared and faith in Christ and His work is not solicited. That was true 22 years ago. It's true today. It was true 2,000 years ago. It's true today. It was true when God created Adam and Eve in the garden. It's true today. Today, we must never be timid in our declaration of these truths, for only the truth has the power to set men free. Only the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Any message that does not proclaim salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is not good news. This is the good news. This is the gospel we are commanded to proclaim, that we are saved by grace through faith And that faith is alone in Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to come to the table as you look to Christ alone. Come to this table, not in sinless perfection because none of us are, but come in desperate need of His generous grace. Come to the table and come to Jesus. Here's my charge to you. That you trust in Christ alone. You will be tempted to trust in yourself. You will be tempted to trust in your good works. You will be tempted to trust in many other things very often. But we are commanded to trust in Christ, in Christ alone. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Avail yourself to the Word of God and hear His Word. Hear His Word read from your mouth. Hear it preached from this pulpit. Hear it on podcast. Hear it in your heart. Hear it in your mind. Whatever you do, hear His Word. Hear the Word, for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Pray that God give you ears to hear. Pray that God give you even greater hearing than you have now. Pray and seek for God to strengthen and increase your faith. Place your faith in Christ and place it in Christ only. For only in Christ will the promises of God become real and a reality in your life. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Do not keep that good news alone to yourself. But spread it and share it with all you can. Submit yourself 
to the power and the control of the Holy Spirit and make His good news known with your words and with your life. Be bold and be known as one who has put their faith in Christ alone. By His grace, He is working. By His grace, He will continue to work in and through all things. Amen?